You're listening to Rust Belt Running. I'm Adam Wheeler. You can find me on social media at Wheels Up in CLE. Joined by Andrew Hedinger, who you can find on social media at Andrew Runs a Lot, and Matt Martin, who you can find on social media at Matt Mart Run. If you want to follow all of us, there you'll go to Rust Belt Running. Instead of starting you off with a bunch of ads, we're going to start you off with different ways that you can support Rust Belt Running. First is run coaching. Adam, why don't you tell us about it? It's personalized run coaching. It takes into account the schedule that you have to get your runs in, the goals that you have, as well as the base that you come to us with. You talk to us about what it is you want to be doing, the time that you have to do it, and we come up with a personalized plan that fits your needs, works on you towards your goals, and helps provide a bird's eye view on your training to make sure that you don't plateau, to make sure that you're doing the correct training that's appropriate for you, and to get you showing up on race day, confidence that you're gonna be ready to hit your race goals. We all know running in groups can be more fun than running alone, and your training can be the same way. So grab a couple of your closest running friends and we can train your group of up to five friends together. With a personalized group plan, you can get the camaraderie of being on a team, but the personalization to fit your group's needs, similar to our individual training. Click on the RBR team's link on our website and go smash some PRs with your friends. And if you're looking for other ways to support the show, go to rustbeltrunning.com. There you can find different merch, t-shirts, bags, all kinds of things. Um, all of that helps support us and helps us keep bringing you new stuff on our social media platforms, to the podcast, to our training programs. There's more than one way to support our show. So this helps us keep this show ad-free, keep us from making you go to a Patreon to subscribe for stuff. We want to keep it free. But yeah, go to rustbeltrunning.com, support the show, sign up for coaching. We'd love to have you. Matt, how are you doing? Oh, I'm not too bad. Uh, Anything fun happening this week for you? Well, first of all, this feels weird because Andrew's not here. So it's like dad left left us with like a fridge full of beer and was like, don't get into too much trouble this week. Yeah, now we, you know, no one's gonna stop us from nerding out too much on one particular subject because Andrew usually kind of keeps it a keeps the flow going. Yeah, that's true. You know, he told us he was gonna be around to support us in case we couldn't figure out this recording thing, and then like ten minutes before he got on, he goes, eh, "I'm going out for a run. You guys are on your own. Good luck." Yeah, he just bounced. Thanks, like, well, yeah, where's yeah. the support? But I think we'll figure it out. It's not that hard. I just click. It the seems record to be going button. well so far. Yeah, yeah. click the record button and hit the stop button. Right? Can't mess up that bad. No, you would think. I'm sure we'll figure out something, but... <laughs> well, Do you have a week? highlight this week? Uh, this week, not really. Although, I did get to bike yesterday. Uh, which yeah. I, had, I was supposed to wait like a full three weeks, but I waited about 19 days. And I haven't been okay. feeling any pain or anything, so I'm like, you know what, screw it. I, uh, I, was, I worked at Second Soul, so I just biked to Second Soul and then biked home after I was done with my shit. Uh, and it was okay. definitely nice. It's good to get in some exercise after, you know, just being cooped up for three or almost three weeks. Uh, let's get on the sanity. How about yourself? Anything fun? Uh, fun? No. Um, you know, you and I talked about it a little bit beforehand. I'm, I'm in the midst of starting a, a new job. I guess new career really is what you would call it. Um, you know, I knew I wanted to get out of the service industry. Um, and didn't really have a, a template as far as where to go with that. And so spent the kind of early part of my summer starting to explore some options and basically fell into an interview with a, a guy who subcontracts with uh, insurance agents to start selling Medicare Advantage plans. And I'm not going to bore anybody with the details on that. But the long story short is that 
uh, I've slowly started going down the route, uh, the road to doing that. It's, um, it's really busy and it's really unsettling sometimes because it's, I'm completely out of my elements. I'm completely, it's like, I don't know what I don't know yet. I go into weeks and I'm like, yeah, I've got a handle on what training and certification I need to do this week. And then I get five emails saying other stuff I've got to do and get ready for when I start selling in October. Um, and it's going to be weird because it's all commission based. So I, I have to keep working in the service industry to pay my bills until commissions start to kick in next year. But it's, uh, it's an exit strategy from the service industry, which I'm ready to get out of. It's going to be largely work I can do remotely. And it, it still allows me to run and, and coach runners and do all those things because the time isn't going to be so strenuous that I can't balance those two. So I'm looking forward to it, but I'm also looking forward to being like at this point next year where I know, I know what I'm doing. That's the hardest yep. part is the whole like not knowing what I, what I don't know. Yeah. So that's cool. But at least it's a you know a potential future in where you'll have you know more time to do things, more time to to run with us. Hopefully, uh, yes. Working your weird restaurant hours, and uh, yes, more time to cook up those crazy workouts that I see your your athletes are doing this past weekend. Yeah, some some fun stuff. It's it's nice too because like I I text JP a lot about some new stuff I'm throwing his way. And he looks and he goes, man, that looks awesome. He's like, I love the stuff you cook up in the lab. I'm like, well, you know, get out there, do it, see what you think. Um, it's fun too because we've got we've got a lot of athletes where it's like we have a decent idea of what it is they're capable of doing, but you also don't want to hold them back. Uh, but you run the risk of if you try to train them too fast of running them into the ground. And actually, I think JP was kind of a good example of that in the spring where you know, we had some big goals for him and we weren't quite sure if he was capable of hitting him, but we trained him to, to hit those goals. And I think that's kind of why the wheels fell off a little bit, because maybe it was just a little bit higher than he was maybe ready for. And so, you know, it, it forced me to kind of go back to the drawing board and start looking up for some things of like, hey, what can I do that can kind of keep him in his wheelhouse, but also train him to run a little bit faster so that if he has that capability, like he's touching those paces but not so much that he's going to burn out if he's not ready to handle that for an entire race. And so it's, it's nice to kind of hit those walls with athletes and it, it challenges, you know, me as a coach. And I like that part of it because that's, that's how you learn to bring more and more people up to their capabilities is having to kind of push a few athletes through that. Yeah. And it's, you know, you know, it's, it's I think it's just fun to discover, you know, along with that athlete, what they're capable of. Cause like, yeah, yeah. Brennan and like even with, with Abe, we don't really know. I mean, we know what he's fit, but we don't know what he's really going to do, you know, on race day. Mm -hmm. But it's fun to kind of figure that that process out along you know, along the way, and uh, you know, in the meantime, cook up some workouts that uh, look kind of fun that I would want to do, but I'm just going to have him do it first to make sure. How'd you like that? Oh, I should try that now. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. No, you know, you hit the nail on the head too. It's like, it's fun to, to write those in and discover along with them because I think the worst thing as a coach is feeling like you've hit a point where you've got it all figured out because then it gets really boring. There's always like new little things that you can do to keep things interesting for yourself and for your athletes. Cause you don't want training to get boring. Like training's not, it's not hard. You know, really with running, it's just run as much as you can within the time windows that you have largely easy and then throw in some quality stuff um you know so you want to find ways to keep that interesting and you want to find ways that you know once you've got an athlete who's really kind of dialed in what they think they're capable of like how do you find those small incremental gains that you know 
maybe they shave off a minute from a time where they were shaving off eight minutes from a time previously. Cause you can't, you can't keep shaving eight minutes off your marathon times eternally. It doesn't work that way. So, you know, what can you do then to start making those small gains where they still see progress and you're still pushing them, but you know, they're not maybe seeing the jumps they were seeing previously. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the hard part about running is once you get, you know, consistent and once you keep, you know, improving, improving, improvement, then the improvements get harder to come by. So you have to kind of you know yeah. change things up a bit. And, uh, you know, even though, you know, stuff in the past that might've worked for you, you still have to should try to do a little bit different to try to get a little bit better mm-hmm. each time. So it's hard, but, um, you mentioned something, to, uh, something else to talk about. And I thought it was kind of interesting, the Scott Fobble, uh, Berlin marathon, uh, entry and uh what do we think about men's marathoning in the u.s as a whole yeah you know so fobble running berlin caught my eye because he's a guy that largely has run uh harder courses he's a guy that i feel like in the past like he thrives on a course like boston which is which is hilly it's technical um it's tactical uh it isn't just simply go out into a flat course and start time trialing the thing and i mean the guy is the model of consistency. When we were talking beforehand, you brought up Des and Des, I think also fits into that kind of model. Just the human metronome just ticks off the miles. I mean, the guy's so good. He, he even split Boston, which is a feat that blows my mind. I mean, that's such a hard course to figure out how to attack given how different the first half and the second half of that course is. And to go out and not, you know, you, you want a negative split any race if you can, but to positive split it, to completely nail it where you hit the first half and the second half equally, um, equal times is just incredible to me. And so for him going to a course like Berlin, which is really the opposite end of that spectrum, pancake flat, no changes in elevation at all. Um, our athlete, Erica Gennaro said, I think, I think she said that is the most boring course she's run because there's absolutely zero change in anything that happens on elevation. I think it's interesting, and, and probably part of it is that it happens a little bit earlier, so it sets him up to run the trials in, what, February, I think the yep. trials are? Yep. Because now we're looking at you know having to run three marathons in the course of, what, probably 10 months there, which is a little bit out of the norm as far as the calendar goes. Um, but it's interesting in terms of what that means for you know what he's going to go after. Uh, you know, Andrew and I were texting a little bit back and forth and he said, you know, do, does he go after the American record? And, you know, you and I were looking it up and the American record is still Ryan Hall's Boston performance, which was a 204, which is mind boggling to run a 204 on that court. That would have won this year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know if a guy like Fobble has that in him. Um, I think Scott Fobble is a guy who, who knows who he is. He does not have that blazing speed. His, his superpower is his consistency. And that's not necessarily sexy because that's not going to put him in the list of favorites in the races that he runs. And, you know, running Berlin where Elliot's going to be running and he would imagine Elliot is going to feel like he's in a better position to go and try to win again compared to when he was running Boston for the first time. Um, that's probably not a race he goes and tries to win, but, you know, does he look to go and break 208? He's at, a, I think, a 208.52 now is his PR. You know, does he have it in him to go and run something like a 207 and really set himself up to maybe put himself in medal contention at the Olympics next year if he can make the team? I don't know, but my guess is that's probably what he's looking at because I don't know that he has that breakneck speed to go and try to win a race, but you know, like a Des, like a Meb, I think if he's able to show up and consistently run 
207, 208. He's always a guy that's in the mix to do something. Right. And it's, I think it also depends on, you know, what the, the lead field is going to do, you know, because there's, there's going to be a lot. I think Kachoge's in there. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm sure there's a bunch of other fast Kenyan guys, you know. Are, oh, yeah. And if, it depends on what they do, because Elliot's going to set the pace. So if he wants to take it out easy, mm-hmm. he'll take it out easy, or they could st- take it out, yeah. you know, they could take it out blazing fast going for a world record or something. Yeah. And either way, he's going to kind of be in no man's land or he's going to be, um, you know, in a giant slow pack at the you know, beginning of the, the race. So I think it's interesting, yeah. you know, it'll be, it'll depend on what they do and then what his race plan is, or, you know, with that lead group. Um, but I would like to see an American at least go 206 or 207, you know, get us, get us a little bit of respect because there's not a lot of it you know, nationwide for, or worldwide for American marathoners. Do you like how do you feel about the state of American men's marathoning cuz I feel like the women right now are in this nice kind of area where you know that there are women out there that are capable of winning a major. Yeah, with- and I don't know that I feel that way about the men outside of like a Galen Rupp and uh, I mean honestly like I don't know that Galen's done too much lately to really warrant that at this point. Yeah, and in the the depth of the the women is the main thing. It's, you know, you know, if we would have had a, a bronze medal marathoner go down, we would have nothing after you know behind that. But you know, Molly Sagal is yeah. kind of going through injuries and other other things. But the women haven't really skipped a beat. We still have three or four or five other you know low two twenty marathoners to to come back and yeah. So that's exciting. Now with the men, it's just I don't really know. I mean, we've got Scott Fobble. We've got um, oh, I can't think of his name. Connor. What's his last name? Connor Mance. Mance? Is it? Yep. Yeah. Um, I know we've got CJ Alberson. I like him, but you know, he always he always is going He goes for it. He goes for it. So I like that. So um but other yeah. than that, it's kinda like there's a bunch of two ten to two twelve guys, but that's not really gonna make any noise in any majors or any, you know, large marathons or anything. Yeah. And you know why that is? Maybe we just don't run from the time we're one years old, but I don't know yet. You know, Cause it's, I, I know we have the training, we have the tools, the money to, to get people into shape, but it just seems like we just don't have the talent. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Cause if you go back to when you really started to see changes in training, you know, going back to like the early part of the century, you know, I think there was one American male who qualified for the Olympics in 2000 in the marathon and that really led to a lot of coaches saying like all right it's time to get our shit together and like that led to the Hansons starting their project uh that led to Terrence Mahone starting to do uh his group up at Mammoth Lakes and you got out of that like Dathan Ritzenheim and Ryan Hall and Meb Kaflesky um and so you saw these jumps up to where you had guys that were in the mix Ryan Hall was in that mix Dathan just couldn't stay healthy uh you know Meb goes out and medals in the Olympics and wins a couple of majors and the thing about that is like Ryan Hall was the outlier because he was that guy who had that blazing speed. You know, a guy like Meb was just that dude who was consistent and showed up and you knew that he was going to be ready to perform on the biggest days. And, you know, I look at a guy like Meb and I think like a Scott Fobble, even a Jared Ward when he was at his peak, I feel like Ward hasn't quite been near that peak for a little while now. Um, I mean, it's crazy. He went sixth at Rio, but that was seven years ago now. Right. Um, 
But it's like, do you have those guys that are running similar times to what Meb was winning with? And it's just, it doesn't seem like when they really show up on those major days that they're able to quite close that gap. And sometimes like, you know, Fable wasn't going to run a 205, which would have, which you needed to do to win Boston this year. Those were just a really, it was a group of experienced dudes who knew how to win that course. Um, it, it seems like the talent, it, maybe not the high-end talent, the Elliot Kipchoge sort of talent is there, but it seems like the talent that in previous years has won a major for an American man is there, and just for whatever reason, like they can't quite get over the hump. Yeah, and, and, and times can be a little bit misleading too if we're looking at a 208 you know 1995 versus a 208 now you know there's also other things to factor in like super shoes and fueling and you know all the other you know advancements that we've made so you know a 208 back in you know early 2000s probably gonna medal you where now it's like your 30th place maybe (laughs) at the olympics right yeah depending on how the race goes too yeah, yeah, that's a good point, and that's where like running Berlin's kind of interesting, and it it makes me wonder if part of the thought there for like a guy like Fable is that okay, like when he ran Boston, I saw a couple of interviews he did after the race, and he said, you know, Elliot takes the pace out, and I, he says like I know I can't keep up with that, so he settled into what he settled into. I mean, and what's funny is he ended up finishing right behind Elliot. Um, it does make me wonder if part of it is you know go run this race where I know the pace right off the bat is going to be a little bit faster, a little bit hotter than I want to. And is there some thought of see if I can hang with, not hang with that, but hang within striking distance of that for as long as I can. Cause that would be a different way of racing. But you know, to your point, like if you want to try to make the Olympic team and medal in the Olympics, it's probably gonna have to be something you're capable of doing. Yeah. So is the thought process there, like go out and see if you can do that. Cause this is probably his last shot at really, making an Olympic team and doing something in the Olympics. He's been around for a little while now. Yeah, he's he's not he's not a young buck. No, no, he's not. Oh, so what else do you want to talk about today, Adam? We've got, you know, we got the middle of August right now, so we do have some big races come up coming up for some of our athletes yeah. or just some of our friends. Um, you know, Whenever we have an A race, you know the last the last part of uh, any training cycle is our taper. Um, yep. What is what is your definition of a taper, and what you know what is your approach usually when it comes to taper? <laughs> Andrew and I, this is probably the one area of our philosophies where Andrew and I have debated in the past, and we we significantly differ. Okay. So, uh, you and I don't think I've ever talked about this. I'm going to be curious to see what you do. Um, so it's funny in the past. I have been somebody who's gone, I don't want to say hard, but I don't, I haven't significantly backed off um, in my previous tapers to where like I would still run, I would start cutting mileage. Like if I was running like 60 miles a week, I might cut back to like 45 miles the first week, then maybe back to like 30 some miles the second week. But I would still have some quality in, in terms of mileage in there, like a couple of hard runs. I would do a hard run all the way up to about 10 days before the race because 10 days is physiologically largely what you need um and i know andrew is more of like a just kind of like cut a lot more out you know he's kind of he always talks about it like you're in a do no harm sort of phase whereas i feel like you want to 
I don't want to say top off the tanks. I don't think you're necessarily building fitness, but I also don't think you want to like completely stop to where you're not doing anything. Cause I feel like you run the risk of your legs almost being a little dead mm-hmm. doing that. Um, now something I discovered and it was forced into this discovery this past year with Boston was I had a couple of nagging injuries leading into that race. And so I much more drastically cut my mileage uh, to where it was like, I think I was doing like 50 miles three weeks out. And I think I dropped it down like to like 30 miles. Like I made a significant cut and I only maybe did like one more quality workout and I've never felt so fresh at a start line before. So I, you know, so I view taper as one, a huge cut in my, in volume, but also really cut back on the, on the quality, you know, maybe do some race pace miles. Um, something I like to do is like a, maybe one last kind of like longish run where you're running at like marathon pace plus 30 seconds. So like you're not going hard, but you're still keeping the legs turning over fast enough that it's not like just a long, slow kind of jog through things about two weeks out. But other than that, just like really kind of cut the mileage, take it easy and get yourself to the start line feeling fresh. And then the other thing that I do, and this varies by athlete, is I like to stick with the same sort of running schedule. So I run six days a week typically. I will typically run all six days in the weeks leading up to the race, but just cut the mileage. I have some athletes who are super anxious and I basically say, okay, listen, what's the minimum you want to do? And they give me that. I go, okay, that's what we're going to do. Because for them, like, as they start getting close to race day, like, they get so, like, they're just anxious. They're ready to go. It's that taper crazy that you talk about that, like, keeping them on the same schedule almost, like, makes them anxious. Like, they feel like they have to get out there. And at that point, it's not just the physical sort of recovery you're looking at. I think there's also kind of getting yourself in the right mind frame. And if that means we just cut out runs altogether and just do a couple of runs during race week just to kind of keep the legs turning over and make sure that you're not getting too lazy. We can do that because I, you're not gaining anything at that point. So what's, what are we going to do? That's going to have you in the best mind frame mindset when you line up on race day. So that's how I look at taper. Um, How about you? Like you and I have never really talked about this. I'm really curious to see how you do it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not Andrew's method. um, And it's closer to your method, but so I typically do a three week taper for, for marathon training. Um, and this is assuming okay. that the cycle itself has gone well. So there hasn't been any major, yeah. major yeah, you yeah. Know, time off, you know, for injury or illness or anything like that, because that's going to affect whether I, I taper that long or not. But, um, okay. So I always do reduced mileage, but I mean, basically it's, you know, reduced mileage and maintain the same quality and intensity for the most part. So, so week three, I'm only actually going to drop my mileage probably about 10 to 20%. So if I'm, if I have an athlete doing 50 miles a week, um, three weeks Mm -hmm. out, they're probably going to do 40 with still with probably a decent long run there too. Um, and you know, we're, we're still doing workouts. Um, I, I, I typically do one workout a week. Um, sometimes do mostly just one a week. That's the long run. Um, and actually the the week before the marathon i am still doing probably i'm still going to reduce the mileage like 10 to 20 percent from that 40 then and then we're doing like Mm -hmm. a pretty good track session um i typically do for myself i do mile repeats um okay something like three by mile three minutes rest or something and the reason i do that is because you might look at that workout in the middle of your training cycle and be like, oh, that sounds hard. But when you start to get a little bit tapered, 
and then you you hop on the track and you're like okay this feels a lot easier you know um than than i thought it would and it starts to get you know in your head a little bit that you're 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 getting fit you're in shape and you know you're ready for this this marathon and then the week the final week before or the week of the marathon i've got one workout it's always the same it's uh two mile warm-up two mile at at marathon goal pace and then like three mile Mm -hmm. cool down six to seven miles total i i wear everything i wear yep for the race i um you know singlet shorts shoes socks everything it's kind of like a mini mini rehearsal um and then the rest of the week it's really just depending on the athlete or myself it's like i'll take an extra rest day um i still try to get out there for at least three four miles um and the number one thing is i don't look at my watch at all for my easy runs because once you start getting tapered you'll just just run by feel and you'll be surprised when you look down you see your what your average pace was yes and you're like oh shit oh, yeah. like this like yeah maybe technically it's probably too fast for an easy run but it's you know i've looked down and looked you know and let my watch and be like oh crap i was running that at marathon pace it was only a three mile run so it's not gonna yeah. hurt me but it's just a good sign going into that race that you're ready to go you're in shape and uh it's about to be a good race It's funny because as I've as I've gone on, I've taken I used to do everything where I kept it very marathon specific all the way up to that two weeks out. And what I've started to do, and I've even programmed this in for my athletes, is I still have some marathon specific miles, but I have added in that little bit of a speed component. Um, because one is I think it gives you that confidence boost that, yeah, like I'm fit, like I'm able to run this fast and I feel good doing it. Two is that I like to give them that little bit of a dose of speed because if you're running everything at marathon pace, like you don't run a race where you're running the same pace the entire time. There's going to be little surges. You're going to slow down a little bit. You're going to speed up a little bit. So I like my athletes to touch on that little bit of speed that maybe they haven't really done since the early part of training. And then the other thing that I've started to do is really stress to them. And I think this is important. When you're tapering, even though you're starting or even though you're continuing to do that quality work, you know, those marathon race pace workouts, some of that speed stuff, you're starting to heal a little bit and you're starting to recover. You don't want to try to go out and prove fitness. You've built fitness that entire cycle. You know, it's important, I think, to really stay relaxed and not worry about like, oh, well, I feel a little bit fresher so I can push this pace a little bit more. Like, don't feel like you need to push it. You're not proving anything at that point. Like, you want to race your actual race. You don't want to race those workouts because as you recover, you're going to start to feel like you can. And if you're staying relaxed and doing that, like, that's one thing. But if it's like, hey, I really feel feel fresh today. I can really push the pace here. Don't do that because that's something you want to save for actual race day. This is just, we're just keeping the legs turning over. I like to just say, like, we're topping off the tanks is all we're doing at that point the the fitness is built. So I think that's an important thing to do because the quality is important to do just to keep the legs moving and, and, you know, top off those tanks, but there's a purpose to it. And the purpose is not to prove what you're doing. The proving point comes on race day. 
Yeah, exactly. And and Andrew, I'm sorry, bud, but I can't I can't promote uh, sitting around and, and doing nothing for paper time. <laughs> Just kidding, Andrew. I know that's not what he's doing. And you know he does he does he does drop yeah. it hard. And and I I would I would have an anxiety attack going into my race doing like what he does. Well, and I appreciate that we had that discussion that we've debated in the past because. Um, like I said, I, when I was kind of dealing with the little nagging injuries leading up to Boston, I really did take that page from his book and I got to the start line feeling really fresh. I mean, when I got onto that course, I couldn't believe how mm-hmm. fresh I felt. And so I was really happy that we'd had that conversation because it's maybe not an approach that I would have taken in the past. Um, but like I heard his voice in my head and I was like, all right, man, like you have nothing to gain here. You have nothing to prove here. Like you can back off and take a little extra time. And I will probably do that. I, I'll always keep a little bit more quality mm-hmm. in than he does. But it's where I like having that. You want to have those different voices. I always talk about one of the nice things about having coaches is that you have somebody to give you perspective. And the three of us are all mm-hmm. self-coached. But it's still good that we have each other to, to gain those new perspectives and those different perspectives on. Because sometimes it's like I get so kind of set in my ways to a detriment. And so having that, that opposite sort of viewpoint kind of chirping at me and going like, no, man, like you can cut this back. I was like, all right, I can. And it'll probably affect how I taper in the future, you know, realizing like, well, maybe a little bit more of a drastic cut is what's best for me. And it's good to know that too, because all of our athletes are different. You know, some athletes are going to benefit from keeping things a little bit higher. Like JP is a guy who really likes to stay in his routine. Um, I have another athlete, Erica, like she travels for a lot of her races and it's like, you know, so what I'm doing for her really is just kind of taking things off her plate. You know, she's got enough stress with the travel, the things she has to do there. Take that off her plate. Just keep as many runs as she needs to feel like she's done something that week to get ready for the race without overwhelming her. And so it's it's good to keep in mind that, like, different athletes will take different approaches, and we have to kind of, like, fine-tune and find that. Right, and and there's not really a, a wrong way to – I mean, I guess there could be a wrong way to taper, but all these ways that we're – we're you know talking about it's nothing it's going to affect the fact that you just completed you know 14 weeks of marathon training so either way you're going to show up to that yeah. fit we just have different methods and um all of our ways are you know are different you know are going to be for different situations as well for the, it could be for the same athlete that i might do a different thing each time you know depending on how each cycle went or you know where they're at injury wise yeah illness wise or things like that um but bottom line is anything we do they're still going to you know get to that line healthy and you know and ready to go uh i think it's just we just have different different viewpoints on it yeah and hey we've had athletes crush all over races so it's like it (laughs) works it it's funny because it's such a small segment of training and it's such a like you know we talked about before like you're not building too much more you're topping off the tanks at that point so it's funny to spend a lot of time debating it because ultimately it's like the real work you want to debate is really the stuff that's being done like between like 14 weeks out and three weeks out and then after that like it's such a small thing yeah you know what else has been on my mind going through this is that we have a lot of athletes that are they've been crushing their segments they're headed for the races uh they've probably got some really big things coming up but there's also some athletes uh, that are just, for whatever reason, like the cycles haven't gone the way they wanted to outside. Yeah, you, you know, actually, before I get into this, I wanted to ask you this because I wasn't on the podcast last week. Um, 
do you have like have you had a lot of experience like being on the shelf for a prolonged period of time because you haven't been running as long as Andrew and I have and as far as I can remember like you've pretty much gone through your cycles pretty yeah clearly. actually so the only like time off I had to take um, was due to a an injury that was non-running related when I was in a car accident and I okay. had a bruised heel yeah oh, I had a bruised right. heel for a while and that put me yeah. up for like I couldn't I couldn't even run I tried but I couldn't run for like a month um and then okay. Um, finally it went away. I got back into it, but this is going to be a little bit longer than that. Um, so this will be my first experience with, you know, with a, a long, long-term injury. That's where I'm basically, when I come back, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm going to be starting back from square one, but it's, it's going to feel like it for the first couple of weeks of just trying to get back to the swing of things. So right, definitely my first time dealing with this. So, uh, if I, if I learn anything, I'll let you guys know. Right now, I'm just learning patience, and uh, which I'm not very good at. I was gonna say, how are you handling it's not it? Not bad. I mean, now, so I've, I can I can do things now. I can bike um, as long as it's, I'm not feeling any pain. I can start strength training, which I need to do anyway. So it's, it's actually a, kind of a blessing because mm-hmm. if I was running right now, I I wouldn't be thinking about strength training. So I'm gonna try to get you know a good base built on that and try to get a good routine on strength training. Just mm-hmm in general for okay you know even when i do start training hopefully i can keep it going too um but mentally it sucks seeing you know people out there running and then the weather i feel like the last few days kind of been perfect in the mornings which is when i usually run so like you know i walk outside and i get that cold brisk breeze i'm like oh man (laughs) this is brutal yep yep but yes, um, um, we can't all have cycles that you know go our way 100 percent of the time. And I knew that even before this injury happened, I knew it was going to happen eventually. So it's one of those things where you have to just take your lumps and and you know try to uh, pivot and see what you can do to help yourself. You know, get back on the train the next time. Yeah, I think that's. I think that pivoting is really maybe the most important thing in terms of looking at those cycles is that, you know, not every cycle can be magic. Um, it's great when it is, and it's great when you've got big goals and you're going after it, but you know, it's like sometimes when it doesn't happen, it's like, how do you pivot? How do you use what you're capable of doing right now and, and help that, you know, help you pivot into whatever the next cycle is going to be because, you know, consistency is so key. And sometimes consistency is just getting out and doing what you're capable of doing right then in that moment. And it might not be what you want to be doing, but it's what you can do. And it's like, well, how do you take that consistency then and pivot and, and take that into the next cycle that you can hopefully like get more towards what you want to be working on? Yep. Uh, so right now I'm just doing lots of pull-ups. <laughs> pull-ups suck, by the way. Uh, if anybody wants... They're no, not easy. I, I started off like I wrote down on, a, on my mirror um, in my room. Like 100 push-ups, 100 crunches, 100 mm-hmm. pull-ups a day. Whatever, right? I, I did I did like five pull-ups, and I went right back to the mirror, and I went 30 pull-ups a day. <laughs> I, I have not done a pull-up in a while, and I was like, okay, yep, those are hard. But yes, yeah. it's, a, it's a good way to get weight off my hips. So uh, I keep doing that, and hopefully it'll help my upper body too. You got to do eccentrics. 
That's the way to do it. Very yep. slow eccentrics are the way you build yep. strength that on that. That sucks, but that's what I've been doing because I just yeah. want to drop. I just want to drop okay. all the way down when I get to the top. But, yeah, I try to go slow down. Okay. Yeah, I do pull-ups too, um, and I always feel like I'm making progress on them, and then I keep doing the same number every single workout I do, and I'm like, shit, I don't feel any stronger doing these. I mean, I like my body feels better, but I don't feel like I'm gaining yeah. any more strength. <laughs> oh man i need to be better with my strength training that's the one thing i hate about being in the middle of a cycle sometimes and like with with all the different chaos i've got going on right now with my life is that i get my runs in but i can always feel the difference when i'm not consistently strength training and i've not been consistently strength training and i don't like the way that i feel right now and i think some of it's because i'm like in between that weird phase where like i did the guardian mile and i did a lot of short fast stuff and now i'm transitioning to half marathon training and my fitness is good. I just don't feel great. Yeah. I don't feel bad. Like, I don't feel it hurt or anything. I just don't yeah, feel great. I know the feeling, and I can't even put words, like, to describe it other than, yeah, I don't feel great. But I just don't – I feel fit, but I don't feel mm -hmm. strong, I guess I would, I would say. That's exactly the right way to phrase it. Like, I just – I know when I feel strong on my runs. I know how, like, my body feels when everything feels like it's moving exactly the way it's supposed to. And that's not the way that I feel right now. Uh, I see Tim this week, and he's going to poke and prod me and cause me enormous amounts of pain that will all be worth it the day after. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, I did want to say, so last week, Andrew and I talked about a certain challenge at the Guardians games. And I was curious if you think you could complete the challenge. Okay. It's called the nine the 999 okay. Challenge. Nine innings. Well, in All nine right. innings, you have to drink nine 12 ounce beers. So, like, you can get like the 12 ounces from the standing room only, you know, area, I think, and yeah. nine hot dogs. Obviously, something you'd want to do on a dollar dog night to save some money, but nine beers, nine hot dogs. Yes. Probably in less than nine innings because oh. they stopped selling beer at like the sixth or seventh inning. Yeah. Now they got the pitch <laughs> clock. So, those games don't last as long either. Damn. Uh, I feel like 10 years younger me would be able to do this. I don't know if me now could do that because one, the hot dogs on top of the beer is going to be super filling. Um, I don't drink don't like I used That's... to. What did I you can guys do the hot say? dogs? No problem. I can eat, but yes, I would be concerned yes. about, I, I feel like I would have to just down the beers because if I, if I just try to take my time, I would start feeling buzz too quickly, and then I'd be like gone because I I'm yeah. a lightweight. I I'm a you know three four yeah. beers is good enough for me. I can't go you know like I used to back in the the young young Matt young young college Matt days. I just like beer and hot dogs are so filling. Like you're talking about <laughs> so many carbs that I'm just like. Man, I would. I think my stomach would blow up before I could finish it. Although I'll have to try something like that. We got to go yeah, get good. to a Browns game where it's cold, like <laughs> December, where we just don't yes. give a crap and just you know get a nice thermal blanket, thermal alcohol blanket over <laughs> us. Maybe I could. I could do it then. Four quarters, four beers, and four <laughs> hot dogs. That seems doable in like the same amount of time. It's like the same amount of time as a baseball game, yeah, especially would be. watching the Browns. <laughs> it's easier oh, to drink beers watching God, I hope oh, better yeah. this year. I don't have any expectations anymore. Usually 
Oh, I never do. Every year I used to get like super excited. You know, yeah, we got, you know, Baker Mayfield or we got Johnny Manziel or we got, um, you know, who else was I pumped for back in the day? But, you know, it always, it, it always turns to shit. Or we're like, oh yeah, Deshaun Kaiser, this guy's going to be great. Um, But now zero, I have zero expectations. So that way when you go in and if they go and win 12 games this year, I'll be elated. But if they go six yep. and what is it now? Six and twelve, six and eleven. Uh yeah. I could care less. Could not care less because that's what you know, I I'm expecting zero wins. So <laughs> let's just it's just a happier way to be a Browns fan. Oh, it's it's the only way to stay sane and be a Browns fan. Uh I've got a few friends that are like that, where I can think back to like the one in 15 season, the 0 and 16 season where, you know, we would be talking preseason and it's like, all right, man, like if this and this and this and this and this all happen, like, man, I could see us like sneaking into the playoffs and like football is that cruel sport. Cause there will always be that one bad team that like on paper, you look at them and you're like, there is no way this team's going to do anything. And they just, they catch lightning in a bottle. Like five guys have career years. Uh, the coach pulls his head out of his ass for that one year and they make it happen. And it's like, you can go back and look at some of those Browns teams and be like, no, like some of the, some of the things they were trying to do, like on paper made sense. And then just like the reality of the season starts to hit and you start to realize like, oh no, like this isn't good. And then you hear the behind the scenes stuff. Like I haven't seen the Johnny Manziel documentary yet, but I've had multiple friends who've told me like, some of the things that came out of that documentary. And I've seen some of the screenshots of quotes and realized like, oh man, all that stuff I was talking myself into, there was no way it was going to happen. Yeah, I just, I watched it. And like, at the time okay. uh, when Johnny Menzel was drafted, I was certainly questioning mm-hmm. why we drafted him, but I was also excited because he was an exciting figure. You know, so I was like, all right. Yeah, well, and I was like, been. well, they must see something in him because you know, I sure did. Yeah. Even yeah, he won a Heisman and all that, but like, I know college football yeah. quarterbacking more often than not does not translate yeah. to the NFL. And uh, no, it was just. But after watching the documentary, I'm like, how did we draft this guy? There were so many red flags before the draft, before yeah. the you know the well, combine, the the pro day, all of this stuff. I'm like, I don't understand how he got drafted. He's a con artist. Like he. That's the only explanation yeah. because if he could convince some NFL coaches or you know front offices to draft him, he's got to be the the best con artist I've ever seen. Because, and certainly, yeah. you know, if he's going to con somebody, it's going to be us. I mean, come on, let's expect it. I, uh, you know, you hear some of the stories, and you look and you go, like, all right, like I can understand taking a flyer on this kid in like the fifth round. Like, how many fifth-round picks are on an NFL team three years after they're drafted? Like, that's where you start making those, you know, taking those chances. Why well, in the and first we round? traded up. We like, traded that's what back never into understand. the first round to get him. Yeah. So that was the worst part about it. Yes. That is, a, that is a draft that, as a Browns fan, if you ever want to be angry, just look at the guys that were picked between. We drafted Justin Gilbert. I think it, with the eighth pick and then Johnny Manziel. And it's like, there's 10 or 12 guys that all made pro bowls. Like Aaron Donald's in there. Odell Beckham is in there. I think Ryan Shazier is in there. There's, there's quite a few years like that Oh, where you look back. Oh yeah. And 
the people that are playing the NFL right now, you're like, I cannot believe we could have had them in the fourth round. Yep. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I get that for every team, but with the Browns, it just, we can't even get like an average player instead of that superstar. We get like the, the straight up bust right. who either never sees the football field or sees the football field for maybe four games. While meanwhile, their pick is, you know, right. Going to three pro bowls and, you know, winning Super Bowls. I think it it goes to show, like, how awful it is to have these guys that own teams because so much of this uh, is a Jimmy Haslam thing where, like, he wants to come in as the new owner and, you know, fire up the fan base and and make waves with this, you know, sexy pick that, like, you know, everybody knows who Johnny Manziel is. And it's like, dude, you're a billionaire, and that's great that, like, you had success, although it was, like, legally dubious success in business but man just because you were able to do that in this one thing doesn't mean you know the first thing about running a football team hire guys get out of the way let them do their thing because like knowing how to run a business is not the same as knowing how to like draft NFL right. players like let those guys do their thing and uh yeah no our owner's so bad at that and that's why i like you have no, no expectations if they win great and if at not, least okay if- if it goes downhill this time, at least they tried something different. You know, they they didn't do the dra- they they went the yeah. Rams method where they're like, screw the draft, we suck at it, so we're just going to sign free agents and trade away all of our capital, and we'll see if it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On paper, you look and you're like, all right, I can see how this yeah. might work, but like everything Browns related, yeah. show me wins, show me wins, and we'll we'll reevaluate at the, at the end of the year. Team is playable on Madden the past couple of years so that's a plus for any any browns fan there you go play madden you can at least have a little bit of success with the team on madden because they're a little better you know you're not you're not throwing around with deshaun kaiser or uh um who's who's our one quarterback the one year can you remember his name uh <laughs> yeah there's been a lot of so. them Uh, it was funny. I remember the first time I, the first Madden game I bought was like late college. I think this was the year that Charlie Fry was the quarterback here. And the first thing that I would do is I would literally trade away the roster and just stock up on first round draft picks. And I would just go into this dynasty mode of like, all right, I'll be good in like three years. I would just go straight to the draft, draft a bunch of guys, and then just simulate the next two or three seasons. And then finally I'd be like, all right, like I feel like I'm good enough to start trying to play now. Now I'll do something with my team, but the Browns were that bad that it's, it wasn't even worth trying to do it. I did the same like thing. The years. only person that person I kept was Braylon Edwards, and I I would and or I think a couple O linemen oh. because Braylon did have a good season that the year before that. So so he was like he did yeah. High. And uh, the and so then everybody good, yeah. else was just gone except maybe for like my center and left guard or something. Well, yeah, because the Charles <laughs> Bentley was there, and like on Madden, he hadn't torn both of his kneecaps, so he oh, was still able to play. Him. Never played it down for us, and we paid him so much money. God, that was such a good signing, too. First snap in training camp, he blows out his knee. Yeah. Wow, we went on. This is exactly like what happens when Andrew and I co-host. We like talk running for like thirty minutes, and then just go off the rails yeah, at go. the end. This is perfect. And we hit forty-five minutes. How long do we, do yeah. we usually go with these things? 
ah, you know what? Like we usually try to go for an hour, but we've also gotten to the point where it's like, you know what? If we have good content, we're good. We don't need to force because then it's like you're forcing 15 minutes of whatever. Oh no, Andrew did tell me I was supposed to ask about this. Steffi ran 20 miles today, but ran a half mile. Yeah, I didn't even know she was doing it. I don't know why. I mean. She does. I mean, she when she runs in the morning, she feels <laughs> especially because it's it's dark out. She feels safer to you know sticking yeah. around the neighborhood, which yeah, I'm all for. But today she didn't start until like six fifteen, sure. so it was like, it was, I think she wore her her little light vest for maybe twenty minutes and then dropped it off at home. But uh, she texts me and goes, okay. "Hey, there's um, my water bottles, uh, more of my extra water bottles on the counter. Can you refill it and bring it out to me?" I'm like, "What do you mean?" She's like, I'm doing laps. I was like, oh. So I went out there, you know, saw her run by, <laughs> handed her a gel, handed her her water bottle. But this loop is literally around our neighborhood a half a mile, 40 loops. Oh, and God. When she was done, she goes, well, if there's anything that's you know, good about this, it's it's uh, mentally training myself as well. Like, if I can do the 20 miler on that, then. I'm good. I told him like, yeah, I wouldn't do I it. Guess. I was like, if unless this was like some stupid race, I would not do that a uh, half mile loop for twenty miles. Oh, that sounds like hell. God, I mean, I wondered how the Eagle Up people did a hundred miles on that thing for twenty laps. Like, I can't imagine doing. At least that's like five. That's five miles, but man, there's not a lot of change of scenery there. So I can't imagine what it's like doing a half mile. Loop I, don't, I don't know what times. our neighbors are thinking. When they see this this woman <laughs> running by their, their you know, there's only a couple of minutes between each time she passed their house. Yeah. So they have probably had no idea what she But uh yeah, more power to her. She's she's looking fit too, ready for Chicago. i I can't wait to yes. see what she does. Yeah. What's her goal for Chicago? Um probably anywhere between three ten and three twenty. I think it's going to be in the lower range of that. Um, but we'll just, yeah, as long okay. as she gets there healthy, that's what we're, you know, got a month yeah. and a half to go. So everything's looking good. But if she, if she goes under 310, I wouldn't be surprised, but she probably would be. But I also told her if she does, then there's no reason that she shouldn't try for a sub three at her next one. But she said no. So I'll keep working on her. Yeah. Jesus, no wonder. <laughs> Your boys are going to be so freaking good as athletes. Vinny with his 230 max yeah, cadence. Yes. I, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm gonna, I might go to the track today and put my watch on, on Ollie and have him do a couple of laps. And I want to see, I'm going to tell him to do like, you know, run as fast as you can. I want to see what his cadence and what his heart rate gets to. Because Vinny's resting heart rate yeah. is like 150, I feel like, so. <laughs> as soon as I put my watch on, my watch was like beeping at me, telling me I was having a heart attack. I'm going to be hanging out with my nephews here in a couple of weeks on vacation, and uh, I think I'm going to strap my watch onto my younger nephew Zeke yeah. and see what it gets up to. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. What else you got? You got anything in the docket? Yeah. No, I don't have anything in the docket. This is this is good stuff. Unfortunately, you had to listen to us talk Browns for a little bit. We're sorry hey, about we gotta that, guys. we got to have some sports fans out here, right? Maybe not Browns fans, though. 
we we used to do entire well, yeah closet Browns fans maybe. Andrew and I used to do like whole sports segments, and we realized nobody listened to them. That was just our chance. Well, he to wants to talk about sports. the Braves, and no one no one cares about the Braves. <laughs> no, the Braves and the Falcons. And it's fine. <laughs> okay, that's we can talk about that really quick. So I went to the Braves, the the Guardians Braves game on July third, and uh, I posted you know, just as a tongue in cheek, like a, Hey, screw your brave sort of thing on Instagram. He's like, man, that's mean. Why? I'm like, dude, I'm not over 95. And so he kind of ribbed me about that. He's like, what man? He's like, it's so much in the past. Like that was the best Indians team I think I've ever seen. And that team was so good. They hadn't been in the playoffs in like 41 years. That was our year. And the freaking umpires in their strike zones. Like, Oh no, don't talk about the umpires in their strike zones. Like everybody was playing the same game. I'm like, no, Absolutely not. There's a reason they got rid of the National League umpires and the American League umpires and just put them all together. It's because of that World Series. And, uh, yeah, so then he went to the game, I think, the next day, and he found a guy wearing a 1995 Indians hat. He's like, man, this is a weird choice to wear. Why are you guys remembering that year you lost? That, that team is the reason I'm probably a sports fan uh, like to this day. Because that was like the, the first Indians. year where I was like old enough to like watch sports, and I watched every single game. Yep. And when you go and look oh, at that roster, so it's insane, the stats. Oh, I mean, our worst hitter was like Omar yeah. Vizquel hitting like 280. Everybody else was over 300. Uh, we yeah. had Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomey. Um, yeah. Who was the other guy? And they yeah. batted like 7th and 8th. Oh, Like Elder they were bottom Bell, of the order hitters. Uh, Bayerga, um Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember who the because it was. Uh, oh yeah, Kenny Lofton. Come on, Kenny Lofton, Omar Vizquel, Bayerga. Oh, my favorite. Bell. Yeah, we just my had favorite. A, a team. It was insane, yep. and I can't. Yeah, Eddie Murray was there. That was the year. That was the year he had uh, his three thousandth hit. Um, God, yeah, and then our pitching oh, remember, was like uh, solid. Nobody Dennis, remembers the pitching, but the pitching uh, Dennis, was good. What's his name? What's his last name? With the big Martinez, the big El Presidente, cheek at all times. I loved him. Yep. Yep. Uh, Oral Hershiser was on that team. I remember he and Greg Maddox getting into it in the World Series. Maddox, like, uh, I think Maddox went high and inside to Eddie Murray, brushed him back, and there was some words exchanged, and Hershiser went out there and just had a little chat with Greg Maddox. um, I have Charlie Nagy's autograph on a baseball. Um, Yeah, he... I think really? he came to one of my little league games or something. So we got his, um, yeah, we got his autograph. Oh, cool. He was our, like our third or fourth pitcher during that season, and then he ended up being our ace for a couple seasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that I'm right there with you. I so I'm a little bit older. So I, the first Indian teams I fell in love with were awful. They were those like, the end of like those. God awful Indian teams were like all the players you just mentioned, they were they were starting to come up, but the team just itself wasn't very good yet. And uh and then finally like 94 happened, and that was the year that the strike happened, and we were finally good. We were gonna go to the playoffs, and then the strike happened, and there were no there was no postseason. But yeah, 95. And it was like every game they were coming back and winning late. They were, you know, finding a way to win in the ninth inning. Super exciting. Um yeah, I'm not over that team losing. That team should have won the World Series, not the Atlanta Braves. Sorry, Andrew. Screw your hometown team. I said it. 
God, is he going to listen? Well, to this yeah, thing? I don't know. He'll be editing it tomorrow, so we'll uh, we'll find out when we get a barrage of text messages. A lot of text messages. I wonder what he's going to choose as the clip to post for this week's show. Oh, that's a good one. He's going to do his own little audible thing. Well, we'll find out, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't have anything else. Uh, if if you have anything else, go for it. But I think that's a, a pretty good wrap on the episode. Um, again, sorry we got into some sports there for any people that are not sports fans. But sometimes we can't all just be about running. Our our listeners know us really, really well. If they've stuck around with us for this many years, they know that we're going to go yeah. off on weird tangents. It's just what we do. Uh, yeah, no, I don't have anything else either. So I will, Randy's not here. This is weird. So I'll wrap up. Um, if you guys listen to us, please like subscribe, share us. It's just a really good way to grow this little podcast, uh, to get us noticed by more people. Uh, yes, race season's winding down. Races are coming into focus. So training season's winding down, but we're not just going to keep doing this through the fall. We're going to keep coaching people. Uh, the off season's coming up. Base building periods will be coming up. So if you are finishing up your fall races or maybe you're not training this fall and you want to start thinking about next year, come to our website, rustbeltrunning.com, and talk to us about what your racing goals might be and how we can help you get uh, get there. Uh, we love coaching our athletes. Uh, our athletes are doing great this year. Um, we retained, I don't know, like 80, 85% of the athletes we had last year into this year. Um, so we'd love to help you reach your goals. Please come visit the websites and we can talk about how we can help you reach yours. Um, other than that, we will talk to you all soon. Have a good week, Matt, and to the rest of you, enjoy your miles, everybody. I love my log. <laughs>